if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed, it is. Nine minutes after the hour, 10 o'clock now. And we are underway in hour number two. It is a Tuesday, the 20th morning of the fourth month of the year of our Lord 2021. And yes, finally, the long drought is over. It has been now two weeks since we have heard the uh, brilliance and the wisdom of one Peter Kersenow on these airways. Peter Kersenow, Cleveland attorney, uh, best-selling author, columnist for National Review, and more, as well as a best-selling author, back with us on AM 1420, The Answer. Hey, Peter, good morning. How are you? You know, uh, I'm doing reasonably well nine days into the draft. I uh, want to make sure the Browns are aware that I'm available. It uh, doesn't matter what, which round it is. You know, first round preferably, but, you know, uh, I'll take whatever round they decide to draft me in. Are you sure you want to work for one of them now? Uh, Pete, you and I have talked about this, you know, for over the course of the last year. Really, you and I both agreed, independent of one another, not as if we had a pact, although I would like to forge one, um, to uh, forego the National Football League in response to their extraordinary disrespect of flag and country and our military and, and so on and so forth in favor of social justice and BLM and Marxism. And uh, both of us kind of got hooked when the Browns made the playoffs, and we actually watched the playoffs uh, with the Browns, and then I went ahead and watched Tom uh, Brady in the Super Bowl make history. But um, if you thought that it was okay to soften and go back to the NFL now in the start of a new season, headline, NFL doubles down on social justice support ahead of Chauvin verdict. Roger Goodell wrote, We have all been witnessing an unspeakable amount of violence across the country. Our minds are also focused on the Derek Chauvin trial. We wanted to make sure you are aware of resources the league offers to employees through our employee assistance program. The trauma, emotion, and anger that follows violence is difficult to bear. Please know that the NFL stands committed to using our platform to foster these conversations, to put in the work necessary to fight for social justice and prevent these situations from happening over and over again. And and on and on down it goes. It, uh, It talks about the Center for Police. Policing Equity, the Council on Criminal Justice, Metro Family Services, the Institute of Justice, etc., etc., etc. So, Pete, they're not backing down, uh, even though, you know, I know ratings and I know millions of people like you and me turned the games off last year until the very end, some even through the very end. Uh, you sure you want to be drafted by one of these teams? Yeah, well, I don't think there's a high probability that that's going to happen. I will say this, that... Uh, 
I don't know if your listeners or you have seen um, what I consider to be one of the more troubling videos. It has nothing to do with policing. It has nothing to do with any riots or anything of that nature. There's no one being hurt. It's actually an interview of one of the greatest intellects in American history, Thomas Sowell, <laughs> at age of 90. Uh, it was just done by Peter Robinson a few weeks ago, I think. Uh, but there's a video of it somewhere on YouTube, and I, I happen to come across it. And it's only about a 10-minute segment, uh, so it's well worth your while. Anything from Thomas Sowell is well worth your while. Agreed. But it's one of the more dispiriting things you're ever going to see, because you're, you're talking about a giant, of, uh, a giant intellect, somebody who knows what he's talking about and has seen a lot of things. And he opines that we may be uh, beyond the point of no return. Uh, that's incredibly bracing and sobering from anybody, but especially from him. Now, you and I probably have heard from our friends. I know I've heard from a lot of very smart people that I respect. Uh, and some people just offering casual opinions, saying that, you know, words to the effect that we may be at a point where we're at a tipping point, we're at a, a crisis point, we're at a point of no return. And uh, they despair for the direction of the country. And I, I've heard a number of people say, you know, if people are in there say, 50s or 60s saying, you know, during most of my life, America was a great place. People thought well of America, loved America, thought it was the greatest nation on earth, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I've had the privilege and honor of living in a place that was phenomenal, but I don't think my kids are going to be living in a place similar to that, that um, yeah. things are going downhill. And, you know, people have kind of thrown away, you know, made these throwaway statements, and this happened for 20 years, sometimes depending upon which side of the political spectrum you're on. If, you know, your guy doesn't get elected, you think that uh, everything's, the world's coming to an end. But I do think that there are a number of indices that point to this being a peculiar period where that kind of opinion is not just simply sour grapes by a loser, for example, or people who are just mildly worried, but have some basis in history and fact. You can't, as Thomas Sowell has indicated and others, many people have said, you can't teach an entire generation or two of kids to hate their country and expect that nation to prosper and and succeed. That, that can't happen. And yet that's precisely what we're doing. And it's not simply hating their country. I mean, it's the, it, when, what you see is virulent. I, this morning, for example, I've already received, received two emails from parent groups concerned about what's being instructed um, in the schools. And, you know, they provide the examples. And you and I have heard of these over and over again. I've been involved in this for, for a couple of years now and have been part of a, a, you know, a number of different organizations. But um, I don't want to repeat myself, but when Thomas Sowell says something of this nature, you should sit up and take notice. And I think part of the fight is with these woke institutions and establishments such as the NFL, MLB. They're woke and they're dumb. Stupid on stage. First of all, they don't even know the facts. They simply assume the overarching narrative that comes from the left to be the case. They don't do right. an independent investigation, and they insult their fan base. Um, I'm sick of being insulted. And it's almost universally the right that is being insulted all the time. And as I've said before, if, if, if sports, um, it, it, sports is where it's our sanctuary. It's where we go to escape the issues of the day, to escape politics. And if these guys are so dumb that they don't understand that's the purpose of their product, then why should I be patronizing them if they continue to insult me and, and throw uh, these things up in my face? It, it is really, it's, it's more than dis, uh, dispiriting. It's discouraging and all those things, yeah, but it's infuriating. So, yeah, I, I've said I'm not boycotting. It's not a formal boycott, but I've lost a lot of interest. 
uh, at first it was just anger, and now it's like, you know, why do I want to watch this kind of stuff if, if they're going to treat me, their consumer, like this? It's like if, right. if, if somebody put some kind of, uh, you know, put dog crap in my Big Mac or something, why would I want to eat that? You know, it's, it's just, it's, it's a stunning thing. So uh, we have seen, you know, revenues decline significantly, viewership down by more than 50%. It's, it's, and it's, it, you know, viewership, considering that we need an outlet during the pandemic over the last year, viewership to be down where you got nothing else to do except, you know, for recreation other than maybe watch sports on TV and other things like that. You can't go anywhere, at least according to Biden and others. You're supposed to mask up and stay huddled in a closet somewhere. Uh, for viewership to be down under those circumstances does tell you something. I do think it's going to have ebbs and flows that's going to increase a little bit because there's a need, there's a hunger for that type of, of escape. People want entertainment. Well, I, don't think, I don't think I'm ever going to have a hunger again after the dog crack, the Big Mac uh, analogy. <laughs> you, know, always, always, you can always count on cursing now to crystallize it for you. Boy, I'll tell you what, nothing, nothing quite explains it like dog crap on a sandwich. Um, Pete, speaking of evidence, you said you know they, they don't even wait for the evidence. They don't have the evidence. I want to use that to transition to specifically to the Chauvin trial. I'm going to play one minute, seven seconds. You've heard the rant, I know, and so has everybody else, but let's listen to it again so that we have a specific idea of what you're going to comment on here. This is Mad Max speaking on the streets of Minneapolis two days ago. We're looking for a guilty verdict. We're looking for a guilty verdict, and we're looking to see if all of the talk that took place and has been taking place after they saw what happened to George Floyd, if nothing does not happen, then we know that we've got to not only stay in the street, but we've got to fight for justice. But I am very hopeful, and I hope uh, that we're going to get a verdict that is say guilty, guilty, guilty. And if we don't, we, got, we cannot go away. And not just manslaughter, right? I mean... Oh, no, not manslaughter. No, no, no. This is, this is guilty for murder. I don't know whether it's in the first degree, but as far as I'm concerned, it's first degree. What happens so much there, Pete, to, to hit real quick. Um, she wants a guilty verdict. Guilty, guilty, guilty. And not just manslaughter, but murder. Guilty, guilty, guilty. Uh, and if it isn't guilty, then all of this talk after what happened to George Floyd has meant nothing. We have to stay in the streets and fight for justice. Later, she says... Well, we've we got to stay on the street, uh, and we've got to get more active. We've got to get more confrontational. Now, this is a woman, Peter Kersenow, who voted to impeach President Donald Trump for saying that people should go down to the Capitol and peacefully and patriotically make your voices heard. She said that was an incitement to violence. What is a statement that says we must stay in the streets, fight for justice, and get more confrontational amidst riots? Not amidst peaceful people patriotically making the voices heard, but she said this in a city that has been consumed by six consecutive nights of rioting, by anybody's definition. So, Pete, between that part of this I want you to speak on and the part where she says guilty, 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 guilty. Has she sat in on a trial? Has she listened to the testimony? Has she seen the evidence? Has she listened to the cross-examination? Did she listen to the opening and closing arguments of both sides for her to be able to declare guilty? Or is she just saying, we saw nine minutes of a knee on a neck, therefore guilty? Because that's what it sounds like this this member, elected member of Congress is doing. Is She is judging the, the guilt of a, of a defendant based on two things. Number one, nine minutes of tape, and number two, on his race. Go ahead. 
Yeah, this is like this. This is the stuff of the Red Queen, you know. Uh, verdict <laughs> first, trial later. It's it's to be expected from Maxine Waters. We saw that she did something very similar during the LA riots in, in the nineteen early nineteen nineties. Yep. Um, you know, the context is important. Uh, I hesitate to opine on the Derek Chauvin trial because I didn't sit in on it. And having tried a number of cases myself, I always admonish younger attorneys who work with me that unless you're there the whole time, for example, partners of mine or others may come in and watch part of my trial and they think something is going well. And I said, well, you haven't seen the other seven days of the trial. <laughs> uh, you have to see every single minute that's going on to really get the full appreciation for where a jury may be going. And then you may be surprised even if you've been there the entire time. But the point is, as you put it, in the context of this, Maxine Waters made these inarguably inflammatory statements, and that may be putting it mildly, in the context of a year of riots, violence, hundreds of cops being seriously injured, billions of dollars of property damage, scores of people being killed, and then every single time some other discrete incident comes up, there is a narrative that's developed by the media and the left, but I repeat myself, that further fuels violence and riots and looting uh, to the point where it's almost become acceptable by many uh, politicians on the left. The bigger cities out there, they, they're almost like standing down and telling their cops not to take any kind of action. We have seen what's happening in Minneapolis with hundreds of stores still boarded up, National, Guards on, National Guard on the streets, police on the streets, uh, National Guardsmen being hurt uh, by shrapnel from shots being fired and so forth. Uh, this is an extraordinary... Ohio Highway Patrol as well, Pete. I don't know if you knew that. Ohio, 100 Ohio State Highway Patrolmen have been dispatched by Mike DeWine to go to Minnesota, Minnesota, Minneapolis, to help keep the peace there in the wake of the verdict, whenever that happens. Yeah, and it's being much of this is being fueled by irresponsible politicians, either because they have either overtly or covertly attacked the cops, either through their rhetoric or defunding them. They have created an atmosphere where the cops are the bad guys and people who are committing criminal acts are the good guys. And it can be countenanced and understood. And it's done so because they've, they've fanned this false narrative that we've talked about before. But Maxine Waters, to say this, you know, look, uh, Maxine Waters is an idiot. We know that. She's an irresponsible and a vile idiot. I've testified before. In fact, I think I'm supposed to testify next week. Uh, but I've testified before before, and I think I've told you. I, I try to, as I think all American citizens who have the privilege in testifying before Congress, comport myself with some form of decorum and dignity that I think the, the, the majesty of the tribunal dictates. And that majesty is the American people. You know, when you're testifying before Congress, you're testifying before American people. But I will tell you, I breached that uh, on one occasion when House Banking Committee, I think I was testifying in front of, don't ask me what it was about, I can't even remember. But uh, I was I was uh, disputing what Maxine Waters was saying, and she, she asked me a question. She and Keith Elson, who's also up in Minnesota now, um, on the committee, she said, well, are you saying that I'm stupid or ignorant or what? And I said, which one of those do you want me to answer first? <laughs> now, that was... I should never have said that. I'm not yes, you should have. anybody to say that. No, but, but you um, know what, hey, Pete, you know what? Nobody talks to her. No, Nobody would do to her what she did to Jim Jordan last week. She literally, on the floor of a, yeah. of a, or not on the floor, but in a committee meeting, she literally said to him, screamed at him, shut your mouth. Can you imagine if anybody else in Congress said that to Maxine Waters? A female, a black, a black female. Oh, my God, you misogynistic racist, you. You can't speak to Maxine that way. Pete, I'm glad you you did in the in the story you just told. Sit tight, Peter Kirsten. I'll back to you right after this.
Okay, 1025 now. We'll continue on AM 1420. The answer, Pete, I want to talk a little bit more about the Maxine Waters comments, and I want to talk about their potential impact. Now, you mentioned the early 1990s, speaking specifically of the 1992 Rodney King riots. Now, uh, I opened my entire show with a monologue about that. I feel the emotion in the and the mood of the country right now as being... Uh, as we wait for the Chauvin verdict, is being very similar to the mood and the tenor of the country at that time in 1992. The only difference being now there's social media. Now it is ramped up and it is coordinated. And I believe there are po- probably stockpiles of Molotov, to- uh, Molotov cocktails being assembled in various urban centers throughout this country, uh, pallets of bricks, uh, industrial-strength fireworks to be fired at police officers. They are ready to do what was done in L.A. in 92 after the Rodney King verdict, um, all across this country. Maxine Waters, an elected official, rather than sensing that mood and telling everybody we must remain calm and let the justice system run its course, is out there advocating for more of this. As an attorney, Pete, I figured you would have a real interest in what the judge in this case had to say. Judge Peter Cahill said that Maxine Waters' comments, now he said this directly to Derek Chauvin's uh, attorney, Eric Nelson, may play a role in the ultimate outcome of the Chauvin case. I'll give you that Congresswoman Waters may have given you something on appeal that may result in this whole trial being overturned. Congressman Waters may have given you something to appeal and overturn, maybe a guilty verdict, because she tampered with and potentially intimidated a jury by being out there publicly calling for more confrontation and more rioting if they don't get the verdict they like. Peter, as an attorney, you say what? Well, as an attorney, one of the things I would say is similar to my previous caveat. um, I know how to stay in my lanes. This is not my area of the law, but... It's never precluded me from from giving you my opinion on certain aspects of it. Um, Here's the thing that uh, I can tell you as a member of the Civil Rights Commission, that there have been numerous cases, civil rights cases, where there have been allegations of jury tampering or intimidation. And many of those occurred back in the 1950s and 60s when there were Klansmen who may have been under trial for committing acts of violence, and then jurors were either bribed or intimidated or threatened uh, by Klansmen or, or those who had uh, sympathy for Klansmen. And there were cases where trials were um, um, overturned or the, the verdicts were overturned uh, or there were uh, issues that were uh, addressed on appeal. And in this case, again, you know, you have to look at all the facts. We, as we talked about before, the context of this is very important. We already have had significant amount of violence, and we have a significant amount of violence occurring in the very place where Maxine Waters made these statements. It is absolutely clear. Every single one of your witness uh, listeners knows that they are happy not to be jurors. Everybody would be scared to be jurors in this case because you're almost aware that you have to come to a certain conclusion. Now, whether they do or not, who knows? Uh, whether certain individuals on the jury, you know, decide that, uh, you know, they're not going to be influenced by outside influences, you know, that, that, that may be true. Uh, but it's inescapable that the average person going into that jury deliberation room is completely and utterly aware of the atmosphere surrounding this. They, they go past all the border buildings in Minneapolis. They go past all the clan, the Klansmen, the, the National Guard's troops that are there, not for recreational purposes. They have not been sequestered in a way so they don't know what's going on in terms of the daily... Uh, Pete, unrest, speak to that. Pete, Pete speak to that if you could, please. Because uh, I was going to ask you anyway, 45 seconds here before the break. Should the judge have sequestered this jury from the start? 
Um, Again, I don't like rendering opinions without having seen every single aspect of the case. Uh, But, you know, the general feeling is yes, because the there there was so much out there and almost from the day that uh the uh, uh, George Floyd died there was discussion about the fact that no one would want to serve on this jury they would they'd be under incredible strain and pressure that everywhere you look there's uh pressure uh, from one side or the other uh but I'll leave it to the judge I'm not going to second guess the judge there he's closer to it than I am but generally speaking you would think if there was a situation where a jury might be sequestered this might be the judge, using his discretion and his good judgment, um, I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt on this, as, as I think we all should, looked at it and probably just may have decided that, for example, this was baked in. That, In other words, everyone knows that there's a lot of uh, media coverage with respect to this. He doesn't want the jury to be punished anymore by being sequestered. Probably was going to be a long t- trial in his estimation. <clears throat> it's a burden. Anybody who's served on a jury knows that it's not the most fun thing in the world, and it, t- it takes you away from your ordinary uh, daily activities. But then magnify that a million-fold by the high-profile nature of this and the consequences of yeah. a disfavored verdict. Yeah, and, and, and that's the reason. You know, you don't even have to see all of the evidence in this trial to say or to maybe form the opinion that in the interest of a fair and impartial jury from the beginning, before any evidence was presented, that this needed to have a sequestered jury because they, they can't be intimidated by what they see on TV and read in the newspapers. They had to have had those things taken away uh, for this trial, in my opinion, for it to be a fair verdict, whatever that verdict yeah, might be. Even individuals who there were thought mistakenly be on the jury have been intimidated, physically Correct. intimidated. Exactly. Uh, you know, blood being thrown on their wall, things of that nature. Yeah. So you knew this was going to happen even before it happened. No question about it. Peter, we're going to pivot away from Minnesota and down to the uh, south uh, border, uh, southern border of our country, and talk about what Joe Biden finally admitted is a crisis on our border. That's coming up with Kirsten after this. Okay, 1038, back with Peter Kersenow for another segment on this Tuesday edition of The Authority. Appreciate you being with us. Uh, Pete, it's hard to hear Joe Biden mumbling through his mask uh, outside of uh, Marine One, so uh, I'll let you listen to it, then I'll tell you exactly what he said. I'm sure you already know. And then, of course, uh, contradicted by Madam Circleback herself. The problem was that the refugees were working on the president does not feel that children coming to our border seeking refuge from violence, economic hardships, and other dire circumstances is a crisis. All right. Madam Circleback, of course, is his press secretary, Jen Psaki, who literally just contradicted what Joe Biden mumbled through the mask outside of Marine One. He said the problem is that the refugee program on, was, uh, on the border was working. Uh, uh, but on the, excuse me, I'm trying to remember exactly how he worded it now. The problem was that the refugee part was working on the crisis that ended up on the border with young people, and we couldn't do two things at once. So he used the word crisis, Peter Kirshenow, finally admitting what everybody knows. It is an absolute disaster. And his hand-picked person to deal with the border crisis or problem, Kamala Harris, is not. It's been 27 days since she was announced as the, 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 the point person to deal with the border. She has not held a single press conference about it. She has not visited the border. She has not established a plan of action. Nothing. And meanwhile, Jen Psaki said, yeah, he didn't mean it. It's not a crisis. We don't see it as a crisis because children want to come here and escape their economic hardships of their own home countries. 
And you say what, Pete? Uh, it's all intentional. You and I have discussed this. This I, I limited it to just one thing. I said this was an yeah. effort on the part of the left, and it had been planned by them well before uh, Biden or anyone else uh, Biden became president. But uh, the plan was to turn Texas blue. And I saw recently, maybe it was last week, I caught part of Tucker, and he said it was more than that. It was an attempt to turn Texas and North Carolina and Georgia and other states blue, and they're purple already. Um, and I think that's it. And I think their their effort has nothing to do, it can't have anything to do with humanitarianism, because this is a humanitarian crisis. You've got kids, children, you have Americans who are being affected by this profoundly, because nobody is being tested for COVID, yet they're being bussed and, and flown all over the country without having been tested and just, just uh, kind of uh, parachuted into unsuspecting communities. It is emboldening the cartels. They're making record profits, which means they get more powerful, which means that they have more sway over Central American uh, countries, and that presents a significant problem. And, uh, you know, the crime rates are going up. Yeah, it's just an extraordinary disaster and it's a disaster that they don't care about because they believe it benefits their party. I can't think of anything more more sinister, mendacious, irresponsible is too light a word to use under these circumstances. But the, the same folks, and you know, we go through this all the time, this exercise, where the, the double standard exercise, but nonetheless, I think we have to point it out every single time. Both the media and the Democrats, but I repeat myself, when anything even remotely like this happened under Trump's watch, and it didn't. Trump had the greatest success on the border in the last 30 years, had reduced illegal immigration to a trickle, had developed a number of very innovative and successful programs, such as the Remain in Mexico policy, and it benefited everybody involved. You know what? Here's the dirty little secret. You can still get in this country if you come through lawfully, respect American laws and values. But what's going on in the southern border is sheer anarchy. It's an invasion. Michelle Malkin, uh, you know, uh, described it as such in one of her books about 15, 20 years ago. Yeah. And it is a magnitude worse now than it was back then. Uh, it, it, it's extraordinary. It is truly extraordinary. And for the American people to, first of all, one of the reasons why they don't want to call it a crisis, you know, they've got to put words into Joe's mouth because he can't think straight, is because then they must do something about it. They understand that then, at that point, the media will, their lapdogs in the media, will train their resources. It's unavoidable on what's transpiring on the southern border. And as bizarre as it may seem, you, Bob, or your listeners, uh, those of us who you know, don't necessarily get our information from Washington Post, New York Times, CNN, a lot of folks out there, however, who do, don't really understand the magnitude of it. And unfortunately, even if they did, there's not a, an insignificant cohort who actually agree with it. They've been trained and taught to hate the United States of America. It's not worthy of protection. So why not disrespect the rule of law? Why not let in a bunch of people who we don't even know anything about into this country who are going to compete against Americans for jobs, who are going to have to put incredible pressure on our infrastructure? on the social services that we provide, on our school mm -hmm. systems. But, you know, we think apparently we have an infinite capacity to uh, sustain these kinds of burdens, or if we don't, who cares? Because of all the sins of the past that America has perpetrated on its people and the rest of the world, we deserve this kind 
of influx of, of people who are going to be burdening America. It's, it, this is why I think Thomas Sowell, one of the reasons why Thomas Sowell is so pessimistic about the future of America, and anybody, again, with eyes who, who sees these things can't help but be pessimistic. We are hopeful, I think, I think many conservatives or people who care about the country are hopeful that someone like a Donald Trump reemerges to save the country. But I think that ship, I, I'm not going to say the ship has sailed, but we're, we're <laughs> depending on something that may or may not occur in the future. We have to do something about it right now. And I think a lot of people have got to, you know, more of us need to stand up, wave our arms, shout, tell our representatives, no mas. This must stop now. There will be electoral consequences to this. You may not appreciate anything but electoral consequences, but there will be electoral consequences. Stop this. You are damaging almost irreparably the greatest country in the world. Pete, now, now do Kamala Harris, her part of all this. Like I said, I mean, she has been tasked with finding the solution here. She isn't even talking about the solution. I mean, nothing. I mean, I, I, I just, what, what was said to, between Joe uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, when he before he announced, I'm going to name you as the point person to dealing with the border challenge, as as uh, Madam Circleback likes to call it, rather than a crisis. You're going to have to deal with this. Did she say no? I'm not doing it. You can't make me. No. Too bad. I'm calling you out. I'm going to name you as the person. Because Peter, 27 days later, she still has not said a word about the border, other than <laughs> right. no, not today, not today. Uh, I'm sure I will at some point, but not today. Pete, how can, I mean, can you imagine if Donald Trump announced Mike Pence as being the point person on anything that was of, you know, substance and of, of great import to the American people, especially something as massive as this, and he just spent 27 days and, and I see no end in sight, just totally not discussing it, planning it, planning on it, visiting it, doing anything at all about it. Can you imagine how that would play? Sure. Um, I think that many of us believe that Kamala Harris is a chucklehead. Uh, and, and no pun intended based on what you just said. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> yeah, right. But, but she, is a, she is a chucklehead. She, you know, if you saw her during the debates and everything, she gets the deer in the headlights look when posed even a moderately difficult question. But she knows a couple of things. One is that she's going to be president of the United States at some point, And she doesn't want to do anything that that uh, necessarily jeopardizes that. And more importantly, she understands But doesn't doing that, nothing jeopardize that? Doesn't her doing no, nothing? She's, she's, she's going to be president no matter what she believes, okay? That at some point, Joe Biden's going to bow out, and okay. she's going to assume the presidency, or in the next election cycle, she's going to be running for president. And she doesn't want to alienate the left, uh, what she perceives to be her base. But in addition to that, she knows something else, and that is based on the approach that the left takes toward immigration, that the crisis on the border is insoluble. It can't be remedied because their rem- they don't have any remedies. Their remedy is bring more people in. They don't but even see it as being a problem that needs solved. I mean, that's the, right. the end, at the end of the day here, they've got, they've got facilities with four, five, six, seven times capacity of children lying on top of one another uh, in these places, and they don't even see it as something that needs to be addressed. That's what's so f- frustrating about this, Pete. They see it as it doesn't need to be addressed because nothing is compelling them to do so. They've, they have all the major media organizations supporting them and suppressing this information. It's astonishing when you go out and you talk to folks that you know aren't you know, individuals on the right or even just ordinary people, but people who listen to the CNNs of the world and the New York Times, 
Many of them don't even know what's going on on the border. As astonishing as that sounds, that is the case. All you have to do is just a superficial review of left-leaning media, which means 90% of the media, and you'll be amazed that very often there's nothing mentioned in any of, the, any of the media sources about what's going on on the border, or to the extent it is mentioned, it's done so cavalierly with a slight slant that goes to the left and doesn't truly give you the nature of what's going on at the border. These are the same folks who were crying all kinds of crisis when Donald Trump reportedly was putting kids in cages. What we're seeing right now is uh, I think at least two orders of, ma- at least an order of magnitude worse than the worst under Donald Trump in the early stages of the Trump presidency before they got a handle on it and remedied it. So it's, they believe that as long as the media is not down there, that's why they don't want to travel down there, otherwise the media would be ca- tagging along, that they can sustain this and it's part of their policy prescription. They want precisely this to happen. It helps them electorally and in terms of placating their ideological base, the ideological base that is actually in favor for uh, open borders. All right, Pete. Um, speaking of borders and what we'll just call disputed territory, because I think we could almost make that that claim for our southern border right now. It's disputed territory. Is it really American sovereign land, or is it just open to anybody in another country who feels like they have an economic uh, calamity that they're fleeing? I'm using that as kind of a rough way to get to Crimea, and I'm getting to the issue between the Ukrainians and uh, the Russians. Russia is steadily building a massive, massive force near the Ukraine border. Um, we all know what happened with Crimea uh, during the Obama administration. Russia essentially forcefully took Crimea from Ukraine. Ukraine has pretty much done nothing since. Barack Obama did nothing to help defend them against that aggression uh, from the Russians. And now Russia's building this massive force. Some have suggested it's because Ukraine is ready to go to battle with the Russians to forcefully retake that, that peninsula. Others say that this is just a Russian, a planned Russian uh, invasion of Ukraine. What do you see there, Pete? And do you believe that the current weakness that I believe we portray to the rest of the world through our commander in chief is leading to this uh, this showdown without fear of any American intervention? Unquestionably, and as I've we've talked about so many times, I wish we had a responsible media in this country that wasn't playing games and playing politics and would honestly report so American people can gauge and assess what's transpiring because it's extraordinarily dangerous. Um, we are at a point now, and I, look, I am not a foreign policy expert, but you know what? I read a lot. I've been around history, you know, reading history a lot, and I have eyes and can look at things and at least make some analysis of what's transpiring. There's without question, you do talk to the experts. If you do talk to the experts, for example, Gordon Chang, who I consider to be one of the top, top experts on China, many of these predictions have been made, such as there would be incursions on Taiwan, which we are seeing already. Well before Biden became president, all of the bad actors in the world, Russia, China, Iran, North Korea, were already making plans because they had assessed Joe Biden independently of the sludge that the media was throwing uh, against us about the Biden presidency, that it was, you know, it would be nirvana compared to Trump. These guys were making honest assessments about what they could do if there was a Biden presidency, a weak presidency, a presidency that wouldn't be asserting Americans' uh, strength and sovereignty in the manner that's needed to be done in a dangerous world like today. And so Putin was biding his time, biding his time, and now he's going to make incursions into areas that he believes, look, Putin 
Putin believed that the collapse of the Soviet Union was one of the great tragedies in history. He'd like to reconstitute as much of that as he could. Whether it means all of Ukraine, I don't know, but he's, he's a calculating person, and he's going to at least test to see how far he can go. Same with respect to Xi in Taiwan and, and much of the South Pacific Indian Ocean area, and they're going to expand beyond that. In Iran, Iran's already being given potential return to the um, family of nations and a reinstitution of the worst treaty or deal in the last 50 years in the Iran nuke deal. So all of them are, are making aggressive actions because they know there's not going to be any pushback. They saw what happened with Blinken up in Alaska and China, and they're going That's like, right. Boy, this is going to be easy pickings. It's extraordinary what's going on. I blame, to a large extent, the media for not honestly reporting what's going on and, in fact, the, the threats that we're facing right now that the Biden administration is downplaying because it doesn't want to have a confrontation with any of these folks. These same folks who have been talking about the threats of Vladimir Putin, and it is true that Trump was tougher on Putin than any president since Reagan. That is absolutely, or on Russia, since any president since Reagan. No, I knew who you meant, and, uh, and you're a thousand percent right. And, you know, I think the one common theme or the one common element in all of the big stories we discussed today, uh, I think you can make a credible argument that the media is responsible for, for all of them. The media is responsible for the division in this country in terms of race. The media is responsible for ignoring the crisis on the border and not covering it as closely as they did uh, when Trump Trump was in control, uh, you know, and complaining about kids in cages and everything they did. They're not holding the Biden administration accountable down there. And what you just said about the media and their coverage or their lack of, of intellectual honesty and journalistic integrity when it comes to this Russia situation. So uh, you're right. The media, the fourth estate has completely fallen apart and this country is suffering as a result of it. We'll leave it there for this time. Peter Kirsten, now terrific conversation as always, my friend. We'll talk soon. Thanks, Bob. All right, that's Kirsten Allen, AM 1420, The Answer. Time for a couple of calls from you before we're done, right here on The Authority. Well, that took us pretty much right up to the uh, final gun here. Oh, is that triggering? Oh, is that triggering? Holy cow, I just committed two Second Amendment offenses in the one, at one time. I said at the final gun, and it'll trigger you. Uh, sorry about that to those who are offended by our Second Amendment, but uh, thanks so much to everybody for being a part of the show today, including and especially Peter Kirsten, our tremendous conversation. Please follow me on my social media posts so that we can communicate uh, when we are off the air. If you are not yet a member of Gab, please become one. Find me there. If you're not yet a member of MeWe, become, uh, please become one. Find me there. And also Parler, which, of course, is now back up and running after being completely shut down by the tech overlords on the far left. Find me on Parler as well. And by the way, Mike Lindell launched Frank Talk yesterday, and I'm going to be joining that as soon as they get the full thing up and running. It was immediately cyber-attacked by those who don't wish to support free speech. So we'll join you, or you can join me there as well. That's all the time we've got today. Gallagher's coming up next. Stay ready here for that, and we'll see you tomorrow on The Authority. Bye-bye.